trip. Uh, why don't we start by you telling... Fringe Pod 321 is the show that believes the world is stranger than we think, but thinking should not be strange. This is a continuation of our interview series on Fringe Pop, and today we have with us Steve Van Cars. So, Steve, thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for it. making the trip. Uh, why don't we start by you telling our viewers where you're from, and then we'll get into a little bit of your story. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Canada, and uh, just basically always grew up in the church um, and uh, long story short had this pretty lengthy journey through the new age movement and uh, had some supernatural experiences had some transpersonal experiences and uh, ended up teaching this stuff full-time as a career and uh, long story short had an encounter with with the Lord Jesus Christ and that completely changed everything for wow me. well we want to I'm real interested. I mean, I know your testimony is online in a, in a pretty lengthy version, uh, your story. Um, I'd like to sort of, you know, jump in and land on a few points. Now, you just mentioned you did this professionally. Again, you had various experiences. Right. So tell us just what it was like to be you. <laughs> oh, man. You know, okay. four or five years ago yeah. or whatever, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in what... I'd like to hear some of the stuff that happened to you and some of the stuff that you were in, you know, experimenting with and doing. Right, right. But along the way, we, we really want to hit why this was so appealing. Right. Yeah. Uh, my, the, the, the type of experiences that I had most, um, <clears throat> I was most fond of were lucid dreaming and um, astral projection experiences. What's the difference between uh, those two? Some would say they're the exact same thing. They're not. Um, a lot of the New Age movement who confuses the lucid dreams for astral projection experiences will uh, say that they're one and the same, but they're not. Astral projection is what we would call OBEs, mm -hmm. out-of-body experiences. Lucid dreams are uh, dreams where you are conscious that you're within the dream world. So awareness sets in, you're still within the dream world, whatever that is. And, and you know it. And you know it, and you, re and you have full awareness. Um, you're lucid, you have cerebral awareness and you're able to control your own actions from within the lucid dream. Mm -hmm. Now, as opposed to astral projection, which is your astral body, what you know, the Hindus will call your subtle body, disconnecting from your, your, your physical vehicle, and you're traveling around in some parallel metaphysical realm. So um, in the New Age movement, you know, scores of, of experiences with lucid dreams, you know, meditating within lucid dreams, leaving my body from within lucid dreams, um, tons of experiences with sleep paralysis, false awakenings, and uh, two out-of-body experiences that, to me, uh, completely shifted the paradigm that um, I had been raised with. Before we get into those, like, how, how did you get started? I mean, what, um, what started... I mean, you, didn't, you didn't just wake up one day and say, I want to try this or that. Right, I didn't wake up one day and, and say, I want to try and leave my body. I... Um, what got me involved in it was actually uh, a program called Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. And, and that got you into lucid dreaming? That got me into lucid dreaming and astral projection and psychedelics okay. and meditation and all that. So, yeah, it started basically with uh, the premise that, you know, mankind was visited in the past by extraterrestrials who they mistook for being, you know, supernatural gods from other planets. Right. And uh, as I started researching this more, um, independently from the History Channel, you a, a lot of the contact material coming through uh, these entities, there's entities that claim to be these very civilizations that have visited these cultures. Mm -hmm. And the spiritual philosophy taught by these entities in contact material, um, it's explicitly New Age. It includes this kind of stuff. Like includes this, this kind of stuff, yeah, instruction on, on meditation. Right. On uh, you know the importance of, of practicing things like lucid dreaming and astral projection for spiritual development, and it's kind of a, a package deal as well when you start researching ancient astronauts. So, theory. so you started researching the ancient astronauts, and it led right. you to the messaging, right? Like spiritual messaging, right. sort of what, I guess, what, for lack of a better term, the content, right? And then that 
Part of that content was this. Right, part of that content was this, and also the main players who teach this within the, within uh, the community online, they also hold um, New Age beliefs. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, look, if I'm doing research for more clarification on ancient astronaut theory, I'm, used to, I'm usually going to be getting it from people like uh, David Wilcock, for example, who are adamant ancient astronaut theorists but also believe in things like you know reincarnation mm -hmm. and all these various theories of the afterlife and whatnot. And, um, Gnosticism and so forth. And so it started off with what I thought was harmless research into aliens and UFOs right. and resulted in practice of the paranormal. Wow. So, okay, so you're going along, you run into the content. This, is, this again, is part of the content. Right. Did, is there a handbook for this? I mean, what, what, what was the, what took you from wondering about it to experimentation? Yeah, there actually are handbooks on okay. it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's, that was just a guess. Yeah, yeah. No, there's literal handbooks. There's literal handbooks. There's guided meditations, um, instructional manuals, telling you, you know, various techniques, how to leave your body, what you what you need to do when you're outside of your body, how you need to prep before leaving your body, and so forth. And um, I was actually reading uh, one of these books, on, you know, released through a major New Age pub, uh, publishing house, and I. Whenever I would get close, like, I would get too far, I would kind of cross a line in prepping to leave my body and something would feel off in the spirit. I would feel like almost danger or feel fear set in. Mm -hmm. And I would know at that moment that that night I was going to have some kind of right. supernatural so, so, experience. So you weren't, you weren't, when you were doing this, you weren't held back by any sort of, you know, religious predilections that I shouldn't be doing this, like, like a conscience issue. You, you just got scared. Right, I just got scared. Yeah. There, there's a uh, an unfamiliarity and just a feeling that something is off when you start getting too deep into the occult. Um, most people have an awareness of it, but you're trained to systematically reject that and denounce that through the practice of mindfulness. So basically, you're you're, you're taught to observe anything that arises within your consciousness or your energy field as just um, a play in consciousness. And since you're the observer and not the form within your energy field, um, you're supposed to disidentify from it and distance yourself from it and just kind of sit there in a state of pure awareness as this disinterested observer. So when you when you feel when you feel fear in normal, ordinary life, you recognize that as a, a danger system. Your body's telling you, your your conscience is telling you something's wrong, something's off here. But in the new age movement you're trained to recognize that as just a feeling of unfamiliarity or it's just going against the grain of your conditioning or your programming. Mm -hmm. And so I would have, I would, that thing would click in me and I would go to sleep and then I'd have um, really, really strange experiences. The primary experience that really did it for me was um, I'm in a lucid dream. So consciousness sets in. I'm fully aware that I'm dreaming. I'm driving my car with a car full of people and uh, I end up crashing my car in a plaza by my house and they're all freaking out in the car and I'm like guys relax it's a lucid dream by the time we get out of the coffee shop the car it'll fix itself so we get out of the coffee shop the car is repaired I know I'm dreaming um, and I start I get back in my car and I'm driving home and the degree of lucidity that set in was unlike anything from the scores of lucid dreams I had before it was so visceral that I couldn't distinguish between that and waking life Anymore, I didn't know in that moment if I was awake or within a lucid dream. So this this is this is during the same dream. During the same lucid dream, yeah. And I had this thought in my head: um, if I can't distinguish between this and real life, how am I? How can I be sure that real life isn't just one big dream? So I start driving my car home, and my dream begins to be interrupted by an outside force, and my car starts jerking down the street, and I get pulled out of my car. I'm still within my lucid dream. I'm still in my body within my lucid dream. And I'm hovering 20 feet over the housetops of my neighborhood. Everything looks the exact same, same layout. And in front of me, a, a being appears, manifests about 20 feet away from me in the air. And uh, he has red skin and black markings on his face. And he looks a Sith Lord or something like that. <laughs> no, well, I, I I didn't grow up on the Star Wars series. Okay. I didn't have a frame of reference for what I was looking at. But he didn't. He looked more lizard-like than that. Like he, his jaw structure was different, and um, 
he had a third eye in between his two regular eyes. And uh, in the New Age movement, that's a sign of um, psychic power. It's believed that you have a pineal gland um, sitting with, in between the two centers of your hemispheres of your brain. And this is the seat of the soul where your spirit man connects to your physical vehicle. And so when your pineal gland is activated, uh, you now have this bridge between the natural and the supernatural where you can you know, your spirit man and or your astral body can communicate messages and information from the spirit world to your yeah. physical body. At the time of this dream, did you right. know that? Like you had done enough research? Oh, yeah. To, okay. Yes, I recognized his third eye opened. Okay, he's got, he's pretty advanced, mm -hmm. psychically speaking. And uh, so he opened his third eye at me, and I started to get, like my consciousness started to get kind of pulled into his third eye, like magnetized almost like a wormhole or a vacuum. And uh, it was wholly apart from my consent. I didn't ask mm -hmm. to see him, nothing in the manuals I was reading. Yeah, that, that was my next question. Right. Because a lot of this, you know, there, you know, you hear a lot about there needs to be some sort of, well, needs to be is not the right way to put it, but there, there's some sort of moment where there's a solicitation or permission. Right. right. But you didn't have that at this point. Right. Absolutely right. not. Right. So I was wondering about, uh, again, you, you see and hear, you know, either on TV or YouTube or whatever, or books, there's, there seems to be this issue of permission that comes up. Now, you know, you, you said you, you ran into the lizard guy and you weren't expecting that, so obviously you weren't soliciting that. You, this stuff's happening to you without some sort of solicitation or permission. So do I have that correct? That, that again, you, you, you weren't asking for any of this. Right, I wasn't asking to meet him. Um, normally in the New Age movement, they will say that uh, an entity such as him can only do something in the astral realm to you if his actions are aligned with your dominant energetic state. So basically, if you are kind of giving off that you want that experience to happen to you, mm -hmm. if you're open to it energetically, if you will, then you might attract something like that into your lucid dream or into your astral projection experience. So were you so open forth. to that? Because, um, I mean, open is different than permission. Right. Uh, I did not, I did, no. Not I, consciously anyway. No, not consciously anyway. I had right. no intention of that. There was nothing in the, the material I was reading that suggested that I would have any kind of encounter like that. Um, nor did it prepare me for what happened after I got sucked into his awareness. So um, after I got kind of vacuumed into his third eye, I, there was about three seconds of darkness, and I opened my eyes after about three seconds, and I was hovering. In, in the dream? No, or? no. I'm, I'm not in the dream anymore. Okay. That was the end of the dream when I got sucked in. That was the end of my, okay. lucid, my lucid dream. And then in the three seconds of darkness, that was me transitioning from the lucid dream to what I thought was my waking state. And so I had my, it was darkness, and I opened my eyes expecting to just wake up in my bed and mm -hmm. shake it off as a strange experience. But I actually opened my eyes, hovering four feet in the air over my bed. And I sat up and looked around my bedroom, and my uh, astral body, my spirit man, whatever we would want to call it, was lighting up the room. It was dimly lit because of the light coming off my my astral so body. So you, you could see your body. You know, it's kind of like the classic NDE, but it's not an NDE. You see your body. Right. You see objects in the room. And all right. That. Saw objects in the room. Um, the state of awareness I was in. It's pretty much equivalent to this, though more sh sharp and refined because it's not being filtered through for um, the physical brain. It's more immediate. Uh, so I was alarmed, taken back. I just got pulled out of my body. Like I did not initiate that out-of-body experience. A lot of times people will initiate them through meditation or through psychedelics or through you know, altering their brainwave state somehow. But I just got pulled out from within a lucid dream. I was completely taken off guard. So I tried fighting to get back into my body. And as I'm fighting to get back into my body, I'm trying to force myself back down into the bed, and I see my astral leg bouncing in and out of my physical leg. I'm able to see them contrasting one another. And I try pinching myself to wake myself up, and I don't feel anything. And after about a minute or two minutes, I finally settle back into my, uh, my body, and I hear a buzzing sound on my forehead, a pressure and a humming buzzing sound. And I had learned that that's a precursor to out-of-body experiences from my research. So 
I knew I was about to leave my body again, even though I had just violently fought to get back in, terrified. And I opened my eyes, and I was another foot and a half, two feet off my body, out of, out of my body a second time. And I tried to fight to get back in for another minute, minute and a half. Finally, I woke up. And so, yeah, there is this myth that, you know, you need to kind of give consent or give permission to negative astral entities, as they're mm-hmm. euphemistically called in the New Age movement, in order for them to have access into your world. Uh, it's completely false. I was... So, so if, you, if you're not, uh, what I'm wondering is, can you unconsciously, subconsciously, unintentionally be doing certain things that will have the same effect on your mind as if you were like meditating and doing deliberate things? So is, is that, what I'm getting to here is, there are a number of people who would say, well, I, yeah, I had something like that happen to me, and I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't reading books. I wasn't reading manuals. There was no handbook. It just, boom, I, I just had this experience one day. So if, if there's some sort of, you know, mental, physical thing that involves, you know, your brain and, and, and whatever that, that you can do intentionally, like through techniques, if people aren't doing that, there must be some way to have the same set of circumstances occur unintentionally. Right. What, what are your thoughts on that? Right. Well, my experience was not a result of um, applied technique. Okay. Right. So my lucid dream was not something I had intended to do that night, mm-hmm. nor was seeing this entity, nor was being pulled out of my body. None of that was a result of technique. So there are people in the New Age movement who, when they practice astral projection, they'll go through sort of a regimen. Right. They might use like consciousness shifting drugs combined with transcendental, transcendental meditation. And then out of that state, they will um, initiate an OBE of some kind. For me, it was wholly apart from any applied technique. The only thing that I did was research this stuff heavily and uh, want to leave my body. But other than those two things, it was not a result of technique. So if there's anybody who um, is researching anything pertaining to the occult, uh, I'm not convinced that it has to be necessarily deep or as deep as I was in order for them to be kind of an open target for something like that. Um, it doesn't have to come through uh, applied technique. Mine didn't. I had another experience out of body as well. It also didn't come through applied technique. Okay. Now you say a, a target. Right. And that, that suggests, just that language suggests right. that there's an intelligence on the other side, as right. it were, targeting you. Right. Um, you, you can see that in your, in your story with the, the lizard guy, okay, mm-hmm. because it takes the form of this entity, all right? Right. So if you don't have something like that, like some, some sort of personality you know, that, that, that's part of it, what's the intelligence? In, in other words, how, how can you use the same kind of language that, okay, I, I, I watched a movie, I listened to this, I, I did this or that, you know, I, I, I absorbed you know, content in some way that has something to do with you know, what we're broadly describing as the new age. But it's not much. But you're saying you're still a target, okay? So, how does that work again, in, with the absence again of any kind of solicitation at all? And why? And conversely, why is it so hard even for people who try? You know, like what, what's going on there? How would you, how would you talk about that? Right. I guess my best uh, way to explain it would be uh, some sort of spiritual legal permission that you are granting over to them by operating outside of the protection of God, outside of the will of Yahweh. If you are actively involved in a supernatural sin that the Bible classifies as sorcery or the practicing of magic arts or witchcraft, uh, the Bible is very clear that there is a supernatural component beyond these practices, whether it's Acts 16.16 with the girl possessed with the spirit of Python, giving her the ability to see into the future, or whether it's Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.20, where he says, I imply that what pagans offer unto idols, they, add, they offer unto demons. You can't sit at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So if an offering unto an idol puts you at the table with demons, how much more does ingesting material, teaching you how to take part in supernatural practices that God put the death penalty on right, my, in the Old Testament? Right, my impression here is that you would say it, it, it can be... I'm going to use the word innocuous in terms of, of your, like a person's time commitment to get into this stuff. But if that if that's a person who, who sort of knows, like they've been taught in the past or something or had some 
somebody tell them or some relate, whatever it is, but they kind of know that they shouldn't be doing that, even that much, then that's sort of this transgression. You know, is, is, that how, is that a fair characterization? That you still have that transgressive element. Right, you know, right. Even though you're not like, I'm going to go read ten books on this and, and try this and that. Right. Even if you do that one little thing, that there's there's some reason that you should know better and, that, exactly. and you still violate. Exactly. Just like if I'm, uh, if I have my driver's license and I'm driving down the street and I'm breaking road rules mm -hmm. in the state of Texas, I can't appeal to the police officer and say, well, I didn't know that those were the road rules. He's going to say, well, you have a moral obligation to know what they are. If you're going to be driving on the street, you can find them out, you can Google them, you can read them up online. You had an obligation and an ability to find out what these rules were, and you didn't, and therefore you're going to suffer the consequence. Likewise, you can't play the card of spiritual ignorance before God when he's revealed his will to us perfectly in his word. And so there is that element of you're transgressing his commandments, even if you aren't explicitly aware that they're his, that they're his, his commandments. And in so doing, you play your, your, yourself into the hands of right. his enemy's kingdom. Now, let, let's, just for the sake of discussion and some viewers, we'll, setting aside the, the, the theology here of this, there you are, you're having this experience, you're scared, no, I want to go back into my body. So you're resisting. Absolutely. Okay, so how did you go from resisting to doing this for a living? <laughs> like, like what made it attractive? What, what took it from something to be resisted? to something that, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I really want this now. I, I want to be a professional. I want, I want people to come to me to talk about how to do this right. or, or why it's good right. or you know, why it's satisfying. So what, right. what, what happened there? My concern primarily, I, was, I, I mean, I was convinced, I was probably self-deceived that my full intention was the truth. I wanted to know the truth about the nature of the afterlife, about the human soul, about God. And I figured if I'm able to leave my body, and that's possible, and that has some sort of, of benefit in terms of maybe relieving a person of anxiety or depression by proving to them some sort of substance dualism. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very... Right. Something beyond the material. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a very en enriching, enhancing worldview. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, people to be in contact with as much truth as possible. I didn't really care where it came from. If it's possible you're gonna leave, that you can leave your body... I want to teach people how to do that. I want to justify it rationally because I feel it offers some benefit to um, the lives of the individuals who do it. Uh, for me, for example, I was immediately convinced of, uh, of dualism. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to uh, my philosophy class that day at University of Guelph, ancient Greek and Roman philosophy, the day after my out-of-body experience, and we were debating, uh, going over Aristotle's arguments for the existence of the soul. And we were having class discussion on whether or not the soul existed. And there was something neat to be able to sit there and have just cracked 3,000, 2,000 years worth of debate in a three-minute experience I had. And so um, I wanted to put this truth into the hands of as many people as possible because I thought uh, at this point that it would contribute to the spiritual awakening of mankind. It would wake people out of materialism. Right and into some heightened state of consciousness. Yeah, so, so, so there you are. I mean, our worldview today is, a, is dominantly, you know, this materialistic worldview. And you're thinking, you know, people are getting hoodwinked. Right. Okay, this is, this is not the truth. So this, this was your means to, you know, serve humanity. Right. It's, you know, metaphysical naturalism, reductionism, verificationism. It's all garbage. So I, this for me was direct confirmation. And there is some, what you could call pseudoscience or whatever, that would... There might be, you know, Charles Tart, some some experiments that may suggest a validity to OBEs, some mm -hmm. accounts that may suggest some validity to NDEs, but I had it firsthand now. And so this was just one area of research I got into. This, along with other stuff I was researching, like really out there stuff like pyramid technology, mm -hmm. um, the evidence for reincarnation, uh, the relationship between uh, mind science and quantum mechanics and so forth, and I took this online started a, a Facebook page called uh, Spirit Science and Metaphysics. And over the course of maybe a year and a half, it grew to 500,000 likes, 500,000 followers on the Facebook page. Really, really thriving. What, and what year? This would have been in, uh, this would have been November of 2012. Okay. Is when I created the Facebook page. It's good timing, by the way. It was good timing. 
That was when everyone was anticipating, you know, yeah. we're going to shift into some, yeah. a, a new density or something. And yeah. that, a, new, a new something or other because of the Mayan calendar. And all right, that, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was a hot topic mm-hmm. for a while. So, in January of 2014 is when I decided to launch a website, kind of as a culmination of the research I had come across mm-hmm. and uh, my justification for believing in uh, New Age worldviews and uh, practices. And spiritscienceandmetaphysics.com was the name of the website. And because of the network that I had access to, the Facebook pages I had access mm-hmm. to, the largest online in the New Age community, we really had a massive, mass like the Mind Unleashed, like Collective Evolution, like Higher Perspective, like Spirit Science, right? So yeah, I could go on and on. The, we would share each other's articles. Mm-hmm. And because we had so much cross-traffic going back and forth, we would get a lot of website views and a lot of ad revenue. It was uh, pretty surprising. So my first month, for example, I'm averaging maybe 250,000 website views a day. And my first month, I make over $60,000 in ad revenue, which, you know. That's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> at, like, at like 21 years old. But yeah. for me, it was indicative that I'm within the will of God. I've found out the truth, and I'm being rewarded for teaching the truth. Mm-hmm. And that I'm kind of attracting this experience and this finance and this abundance into my reality because the universe is in agreement with my intentions and with my research and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for about a year and a half, I was teaching this stuff online through my website. And the articles that tended to do the best had to do with the nature of the afterlife. Uh-huh. People were really thirsty about that. It says in Ecclesiastes right. that God has put eternity in the heart, heart of man. And we're longing for some kind of supernatural worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that your book is titled Recovering the Supernatural <laughs> Worldview of the Bible because it's important. People are thirsty for that. Uh, they don't know where to find it, though, they think. Okay, I have to ask you. You're making 60000 a month or, or whatever. If that was an average month or a good month, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money. And you're living at home, so mom and dad are going to know. <laughs> I mean, what, what was your parents response to all this i'm living at home making you know an average 40 grand a month and my mom's still packing my lunches each day so they loved me they were supportive completely supportive um that being said it seemed like you know because my parents were uh, they raised me christian they raised me in a christian household did Uh, that strike you that, that that's incongruent or well I don't think, so my mother supported me like just as a person. She sure. wholly okay. rejected my, my worldview and beliefs to the point yeah. of heated debates with her, right. you know, often. But she's still in your corner as your son, uh, right. as her son. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, she was, she was really concerned for me, for my spiritual health. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that my father at the time appreciated or understood the full implications of what I believed mm-hmm. or what I was, what I was practicing. Um, but they were... Extremely supportive. My dad was actually, you know, the secretary for my company. Mm-hmm. He helped me a lot in my in my efforts in the New Age movement mm-hmm. um, because I was raised in a Christian household and homeschooled under a Christian curriculum, and you know, grew up in Christian private school. Um, they, you know, my mother was just my mother. She wouldn't even look at my website because she was scared of how lost I was. She mm-hmm. didn't want to know. How far off the deep end I had gone. And you, you tried to explain her though that you're, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's like, I'm sure you didn't say, well, I'm battling materialism. Another way to say that would be, well, this is like proof of God. This is proof of an afterlife. This is proof of a spiritual world. So I'm sure you, you defended yourself that way. What, what was that conversation? Right. So, you know, a lot of the evidence that I had come across, or at least the way that I was interpreting the evidence, uh, definitely solidified some form of theism Mm -hmm. and in that I was confident I mean you you simply can't you have to infer theism Mm -hmm. from any kind of supernatural reality Uh, so where our conversations tended to butt heads is when I would try to relate uh, you know new age ontology to the the theology of scripture Mm -hmm. because being born and raised as a Christian I wanted to understand what I was practicing and learning in light of Christ, in light of my own religious background, spiritual background. 
Right. Yeah. So you're you're trying to process your experiences and what you're into now with that. Right. Like I'm trying to. Fit. You're looking for a blend. You're looking right. for where they meet. I'm all. trying to fit it into the mold of okay. Christian fundamentalism, and because I wasn't using scripture as my standard to interpret the experiences themselves, okay. I was trying to use the experiences as... You were inverting that. Right. Yeah. And so it just didn't fit. And so we would have, you know, debates about, you know, the evidence for reincarnation, for example, or ancient astronaut theory. And uh, I was always coming back to this idea that what I was learning and experiencing was going to enrich and expand my understanding of Christ, mm -hmm. of Jesus. So I initially thought, in a nutshell, that you know, the Christian worldview, Jesus came and died for my sins. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't really understand the gospel. Mm -hmm. Came and died for my sins so that I could be, you know, in heaven one day with the Father. Uh, versus what this new information and, you know, different Eastern teachings and Gnostic teachings and so forth were teaching me, which is that Christ was here to teach mankind how to elevate his state of consciousness mm -hmm. to um, a level of self-divinity. Right, to look within and all that. To look so, within, yeah. because everything is deity, mm -hmm. everything's divine, uh, God is the substance of the universe, everything emanates out of this universal field of consciousness, mm -hmm. out of Brahman or out of the superstring field or the source field or whatever title they want to give to it in the New Age movement. Um, the superstring field is not a New Age title, but they'll they will ascribe the property of consciousness right, to the right, superstring field. Right. People like Amit Goswami or John Hagelin or whatever. So I, I was trying to fit Christ into this sort of Eastern um, pantheistic notion of God, where he was this self-realized uh, guru, if you will, mm -hmm. who understood his intrinsic connection to God and who came here to uh, awaken us to our um, self-inherent deity where God is our innermost identity. And so just like he can say, I am the son of God, I'm able to say, I am the son of God, just like he can say before Abraham was, I am. I can say before Abraham was, I am. Because the I am is the universal uh, presence of God mm -hmm. within all things. Wherever there's an I am, yeah. in there lies the presence of God. It sounds like a lot, you know, not totally obviously, but a lot of shared vocabulary. But your mom wasn't buying it. In other words, you're you're sounding like what we taught right. you, right. but I ain't buying it. Right. Okay, that's so. because that's how I got hooked in. Right. right. So what they do is they will, um, like a big thing they'll do is they'll take the self-evident truths of human psychology, um, you know, even some. You say they do. You were doing this. Right. Okay. You. Okay, I was doing you, the same thing. You were thing. a practitioner. Yeah. I was a practitioner. I was a a, a sophist, okay. as it were. So I would take the self-evident truths of human psychology, um, whether they're mild Buddhist principles mm -hmm. or just basic psychological principles um, that are obviously true and help reduce suffering in our lives, and uh, you smuggle in philosophical and theological assumptions where there's, sim there's simply no justification for it. For example, we could say there's different layers to human psychology, to the human personality, mm -hmm. whether you want to use a, a, a Freudian um, it ego, super ego, um, there's different layers to a human being. And what in the New Age movement is taught is that beneath your superficial level of ego, where your identity is kind of wrapped up in thought and form and paradigm and image and concept, beneath that there is a more primary, fundamental, uh, basic, primordial level of awareness, of just consciousness of pure disinterested consciousness that's the observer of all things going on within your personality. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to observe something, that thing that you're observing is not you. You're the thing doing the observing. So we are told that our identity is ultimately this state of pure awareness or pure consciousness. Okay, so if it's the case that there is a deeper, more fundamental level of consciousness that we as human beings tend to not operate from, so what? Maybe we're just superficial. Maybe we're a little self-ignorant. Mm -hmm. But where they want to come in is say that that self, that state of self-awareness, that state of pure consciousness, of pure just resting as the observer, that's what Jesus referred to when he said the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, okay. That's the kingdom of God. Right, so it's taking that idea and theologizing it. Right, yeah. right. And they use the same language and the same sure. lingo that's in the New Testament, but they'll, they'll blend it in. Like, it's just not justified. Um, 
they, they do it again with, uh, you know, the relationship between mind science and this field of consciousness. Sure. And then they will say, oh, well, that field of consciousness, that's the Father. That's what Jesus referred to when he said, I go unto the Father. He's referring, I go back to the field, to the intelligence of, of the cosmos. And so uh, part of the way the New Age movement appeals to those who were raised in the church is by, if you, if you go pick up the Course in Miracles, uh, virtually a New Age Bible, though there really is no New Age Bible, it's treated as one, the Course in Miracles. Mm-hmm. If you go pick that up, you're going to see the word Holy Spirit used 300 times. You're going to see the word Jesus used 300 times, Father God 300 times. It's the same thing, the same kind of language that you see in Scripture, mm-hmm. only it's um, interpreted and presented against a, uh, a pantheistic Right. Uh, monistic it's, backdrop. Right. It's controlling the language to frame the discussion. Uh, and, in, and in this case, really frame... And it makes it seem more behavior. innocent. Yeah. It makes it seem way more innocent and digestible, especially to those with a religious background. And so I would have some discussions with my father. And so, you know, I would ask him, um, you know, God is uh, maximally divine, correct? Yeah, he's maximally divine. Um, is it more divine to be in all places at the same time or just in one place? all places at the same time. So that means that God is present within me and within you. If we're going to both agree that God's maximally divine, he must be present within us. If we agree that's what maximally, maximally divine would entail. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. So, okay, there. Man's, right. we're all the incarnate logos right, now. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, I was having these discussions with my parents. Uh, my mother at the time was praying for me a lot, like supernatural warfare prayer over me and over my life. Um, because not only was I deceived, radically deceived, and really convinced in my deception and making a career, I had no reason to, to, to change. I was... Yeah, see, I, that's what I'm beginning to wonder now, right. because, okay, you're, you're making a lot of money, mm-hmm. you're, you're really convinced, even though your parents, or at least your mom, mm-hmm. uh, is not convinced mm-hmm. that, that you're, what you're doing is spiritually right and noble, Okay, all, all that sort of stuff. You can have these discussions with them. And, and again, eventually, you know, like with your dad, you can sort of, I'm going to use a harsh word here, but you can sort of trick him and trap him. Maybe that's not your, what you were intending, but you're using the same vocabulary again to control the, the course of the conversation and help them at least see the way you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, ultimately that's going to have an effect on the way another the other person thinks mm-hmm. if they can't sort of, see through that right so all this stuff's going on and and you're like you're kind of holding the upper ground here again you're making a good living but you're, you're saying critical things here and we're using sort of past tense language so like what happened yeah <laughs> i mean what what all of a sudden or maybe it wasn't all of a sudden but what eventually um makes this unattractive right what what puts the the undesirability back into you Right. When it comes to this. Yeah. Uh, nothing made it unattractive, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened was I just re- I realized that it was false. I realized that, yes, some of the experiences are true. Some of the evidence from ancient astronaut theory may indicate some kind of supernatural interaction with ancient mankind. My interpretive model was false. The beliefs I had about God and about Jesus were false. It was a shift in paradigm based on... Uh, it started with, with an encounter I had uh, with the Lord. So during this time when I'm in the New Age movement, when I'm teaching this stuff, when I have my, my successful website, um, during this time I'm also a guest writer for the largest New Age website in the world, uh, spiritscience.net. And, uh, you know, making a killing. Things I have my, are looking up. <laughs> I, have, I mean, yeah, I mean, externally. I have my whole future, yeah. you know, set in front of me. I have solid connections. I have a new website ready to launch. I'm living in a 4,000 square foot house at age 22. I have everything I want, but my, my, uh, I was, I was, I was so darkened. Um, you know, in Ephesians it says, you were darkness and now you are light. I was actual darkness. I was really, really morally depraved. Like my conscience was seared. I could, I would say. What what awakened you to, to the fact that your conscience is seared? I mean, I don't want to get ahead of you, but go right. ahead. Uh, like types of sin uh, that very few people experience mm-hmm. and indulge in. 
things that I felt enslaved to that most people aren't enslaved to. Things that I felt were permissible or justifiable that the average person is like, wouldn't even touch. Mm -hmm. um, this pathological liar uh, didn't really feel much when I, when I would hurt people or lie to people. Mm -hmm. um, I was just so selfish, so narcissistic, um, violent, internally violent, um, just cold, manipulate people, use people. I didn't, I didn't care. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was going to be held morally accountable for anything. Right, at the most. How did the altruism die, or, or couldn't you see it die? Because you begin by saying, I'm, this is a service to, the, to humanity here. Right. Well, I still think I'm serving humanity. It's just in my private life. Mm -hmm. My private life is morally bankrupt. And, you know, looking around at other New Age teachers at the same time, even within the same community, their, their moral life is, you know, ridden with addiction. Mm -hmm. You know, ridden with, with drug use, ridden with sexual perversion, ridden with uh, alcoholism. I'm talking some of the biggest New Age teachers in the world, written with um, adultery, just womanizing. Like it's like really, really bad. And so we're basically all spiritually bankrupt. But I reached a point where uh, I was uh, living a double life, and my conscience would not allow me to continue to suppress it at that level. It was coming up to the surface, and uh, I'm not really sure why that happened. But I was brought to uh, a point of confession where I had to admit to the sin that I was involved with. Mm -hmm. And I had to see the consequence of that sin on other people. And so after I hurt someone that I loved, I, uh, we had a talk with my parents. And we were both a wreck. And I was like, this is all I've known. I can't, I'm too broken, I can't, I can't, I can't, I felt like I couldn't help myself. This is all my psychology has known. This is all I've been working with, you know, all throughout my teenage years, all throughout the New Age movement. I don't have any other frame of reference for behaving other than how I behaved. And my mom is like, are you guys ready to give your life to the Lord yet? And at that point, I, was, I didn't really know what that meant. Mm -hmm. I just knew that just like, I had been suppressing intuitions I had about the person of Christ, the specialness and uniqueness of Jesus. Everyone else in the New Age movement does that. He's always the guy they have to explain away. Um, you would know this of all people, yeah. right? He's the uh, he's the one that is a th seems to be a threat to these aliens or astral entities. Yeah, or fill in the blank. Yeah, or anybody, right? Yeah. So you know, he's the elephant in the room, and I knew that. I actually wrote an article uh, a few weeks prior to that called five big reasons we need to take Jesus more seriously. Because there is so much evidence of his supernatural invention, intervention in people's lives and of him being unique and, and distinct and set apart from, say, a Buddha or a Krishna or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm going to say a prayer with my mom. In my heart, what I mean to say to the Lord is, I want, I want to know who you are. I don't know who you are yet. I, I can't really give my life to you. I don't know what that means, but if you're real, I want to start seeking you for you instead of trying to fit you into a mm -hmm. preconceived mold of New Age thought. I want the, the Jesus who's the un, the un, actually The real. unfiltered version, yeah. The unfiltered, unadulterated version of, of you. So, you know, what, again, what marked, how, how did the transition occur? You asked the Lord to show him his unfiltered self, or, or you, you somehow make it known you know, to God that this is what you want. You want to know, you know who Jesus is, not in a box, but for the real thing. So how did that transition happen? What, what happened next? Right. I wanted to uh, give the Lord more of a fair shot. I hadn't been fully honest mm -hmm. in my research. Nobody in the New Age movement is. You know, They have an answer for you know, a couple proof texts coming mm -hmm. from the Gospels, which they've never read their entirety, and they don't intend to. Mm -hmm. and they're going to use these few verses out of context to summarize. So, you know. so, so you as a teacher right. of the New Age movement, I mean, there's right. just a heavy-duty proponent here, again, huge traffic. You never really looked at them either? Is that what you're saying? No, I had never opened the Gospels okay. and read the Gospels for presumably the same reason that most people don't want to in the New Age movement, is that there's a resistance mm -hmm. because what the contents will... Is it what you might find? <laughs> right. What right. it might stir up in my yeah. conscience. 
about my uh, integrity in life, about my sure. my moral my moral habits and my relationship with God. So I, I didn't want to open up the Gospels, but now I was ready. Okay, God, I mean, I need to stop playing games. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm messing my life up. And uh, two weeks passed, about two weeks passed, and I was kind of on a hiatus as far as writing content goes for Spirit Science website and my own. I wasn't releasing new content then because I was kind of in a standstill. I'm going to figure things out a bit. Right. Morally, I was still the same person, so I did go to a church service the night after I said that uh, prayer. It was actually like a Pentecostal revival tent mm-hmm. outdoors, and uh, that was interesting. Um, that was interesting. That was something, uh, but nothing really changed in my life because I had not fully repented yet. I hadn't given my heart over, so a few weeks passed, and I had uh, another round of confessions to make huh. about just another, just more suppressed sin, more, mm-hmm. more secret sin. And this was like dark. This was like bad. So I told God, I don't know if I can confess this. Uh, there could be legal repercussion on my life, mm-hmm. but my conscience is absolutely disturbed. So I'm going to submit this to you. If you want me to bring it up, I'll bring it up because, you know, I've ruined my life trying to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try trusting you for one. So I had to confess that as well and see the impact and uh, effects of that in the people around me. And that's when I finally brought myself to a point where I put every single chip in. And I was like, I'm done. I can't continue on living like this anymore. I can't keep pretending there's not a problem. So I went outside to uh, the back balcony of my house and I was just on my face before the Lord. I didn't know who he really was at that point. I was just on my face crying and repenting, Mm -hmm. apologizing, saying I'm sorry, saying I need you, uh, crying out for salvation and forgiveness and a revelation of him. And the best way you knew how. The best way I knew how, yeah. right? And he met me where I was at, and uh, the best way I can describe it is he flooded me with his presence. He revealed his presence to me, and I could feel it kind of enter in, mm-hmm. and I could sense that it was personal in nature. It wasn't some impersonal, you know, cosmic battery pack out in the right. center of the Milky Way somewhere. <laughs> Right. This was a personal, divine being who, implicit in his presence, was absolute lordship, absolute lordship and kingship over everything in creation. I knew exactly. So what I needed in that moment was the truth. I needed a revelation of an accurate worldview, mm-hmm. right? It was lies and deception that destroyed my life. I needed the truth, and he showed me um, where I stood in relation to him, where he stood in relation to me. And uh, I was, I was absolutely undone, because I was in the presence for the first time of something that was so self-authenticating and self-verifying um, that it warranted my entire life. And I knew it was the Jesus of the New Testament. And in my head, I'm repeating to myself, "Jesus is Lord." That's it. Jesus is the Lord. He's the Son of God. I missed it the whole time. The simplicity. Right? Paul talks about the simplicity of the gospel. It was so basic. He's Lord. He died for my sins. This is it. And uh, the most significant experience in there, which I think, I think he was trying to show me something about himself, was uh, when I tuned in to listen and listen with my soul or with my spirit to what was going on around me with the, the sounds in creation the sounds in nature, the birds, the crickets, and, and the winds, and the leaves on the trees. And um, I was detecting that they were, in some sense, recognizing him. They understood who he was as well. It was like creation itself was crying out and kind of making way for him. And I could detect that they were responding to him and his presence that way. And that was when I was, I was sold out. I'm like, I'm done. If nature itself, which I've been deifying, if nature is 
acknowledging your deity, I'm, I'm in. Like, count me in. Mm -hmm. So that was when I repented, and uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when I had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you asked me earlier what what made it unattractive to me. It wasn't that it was unattractive. It was that implicit in the, the presence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was the negation of all New Age thought, all New Age worldviews, because the Spirit... Was it, was it a why would I bother no. kind of thing? Okay. No. It was, it was sensing and knowing that the Holy Spirit I had received was assenting to a certain set of facts about God, about creation, and about the Bible that were in direct conflict with what I had been learning in the New Age movement. He was leading me into scripture to study and learn about the God of the Bible. And he was bearing witness to me as I'm reading, like I'm sensing it. He's bearing witness, this is true. He's bearing witness, like it says, he bears witness that we are the children of God. Bear witness that I'm now saved. He convicts us of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He brings us to remembrance or knowledge of the teachings of Christ. He bears witness of the Lord. And so I have this uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I remember laying in bed and thinking to myself, how, how did I miss this? I feel a personal presence in me where there was once nothing. Mm -hmm. And implicit in this personal presence is the confirmation of the gospel. And I didn't know this personal presence was even possible. I hadn't heard of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know that relationship with God could be interactional and personal. Um, so it's not as though I was presented with a new set of evidence or a new mm -hmm. set of propositions right. that somehow overturned, uh, you know, my career. I was well aware. I believed in the resurrection of Jesus when I was in the New Age movement. I was obsessed with the work of William, William Lane Craig as I was in the New Age movement. Um, it's just I didn't believe in the biblical Christ and the biblical gospel. But now I had what... I, Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga would call an intrinsic defeater, defeater against any right. defeaters against the Christian worldview. So at the time when I was in the New Age movement, I thought the evidence for reincarnation coming from the work of Dr. Jim Tucker and Dr. Ian Stevenson, I thought this was sufficient, or at least jointly sufficient, with other research I had done um, into you know different theories of the afterlife by Dr. Michael Newton. Mm -hmm progressive therapy into past life memories, uh, maybe, you know, uh, quantum consciousness and so forth. I thought it was jointly sufficient to overthrow Christian fundamentalism. But now I had an indwelling that uh, so powerfully warranted belief in the Christian worldview as to be able to defeat any defeater presented against it all on its own. So, and then a quick analogy for this might be you might have all the circumstantial evidence in the world that I committed murder. Mm -hmm. you, I might, you might have my fingerprints near the scene of the crime. You might have uh, a witness draw a sketch of someone coming out of their apartment at the time they were murdered that tends to look like me. You might have phone records where I was in contact with someone he knew or maybe even him an hour before his death. And you might have all this circumstantial evidence brought against me that makes it look that I most likely killed him. But I know where I knew where I was. I know where I was. I was going for a walk through the park. And not only was I going for a walk through the park, I have a memory of being in that park going for a walk. So my memory, my memory belief of being in the park at the time of the murder is sufficient to defeat any defeater presented against me uh, for the case of murder. And likewise, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, even though I didn't have immediate explanations for the evidences I had come across for New Age thought mm -hmm. and practice, he was bearing witness to me that uh, Christianity is the correct worldview, that Jesus is the Son of God. And so everything shifted immediately when I had the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who was testifying to the, the biblical Christ. So, you, that, I mean, something like that um, is personally authentic, but you can't transfer that to someone else. Right. So... What are you doing now? I, I mean, I have to imagine, again, you're not doing the old websites. You're not doing the old right. you know, Facebook page. You're doing something else. So 
uh, tell us what you are doing now, and then go back to this. Well, this isn't transferable to someone else, so how are you trying to, you know, convince someone else that, you know, this isn't a trail you want to go down. This, this isn't something that um, either is ultimately going to be satisfying or it could even be dangerous. I mean, how do you, how do you talk to other people? Because I'm sure you had some kind of backlash or right. negative response to just, yeah, you know, throwing all this away. I mean, because you had a, you had a huge following. Right. Well, I've from reading the New Testament, I've learned that um, it's the Father who draws, it's the Spirit who convicts. Mm-hmm. That man is dead in trespasses and sins. He's devoid of the Spirit. He's alienated from the life of God. Um, the things of God are foolishness to him. You know preaching of the cross is a folly to him. So I can't, um, there's a difference between, you, you can't, it's God's job description versus your job description. Right, exactly. So my, my, my job and, and nobody, no, no apologist job is to go in there and try to, you know, violently change their paradigm. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to them. And whether or not that's mm-hmm. God and his sovereignty doing that, or there's some cooperation on their part, mm-hmm that the Holy Spirit uses apologetics as a means to cooperate with them. That's a different discussion, but there's a difference between knowing something to be true in a properly basic way and then being able to show that thing to be true. So I know Christianity to be true. I think anyone who's had an experience in the presence of the Lord knows Christianity to be true. There's a difference now. How do we show that to be true to an unbeliever? Mm-hmm. And um, you really can't. You have anecdotal testimony, which... Um, is is powerful, and we have evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, evidence evidence for monotheism, evidence from biblical prophecy for the reliability of Scripture, what have you. But um, it is the the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead that person, draw them, and bring them to Christ. So uh, after I got saved, I tanked my old New Age website. Uh, yeah, people were reacting pretty violently, pretty viciously. Mm-hmm. And immediately I started a website at the time called uh, ExposingTheNewAge.com. <laughs> so I came out so of the like gate. Yeah, you weren't like hiding under a rock. <laughs> no, I wasn't hiding under a rock. I wasn't being very subtle about it. Yeah. But I was being really nice. I was being really nice and genuine. And I put out my testimony video. I filmed it in my car of just me going over my, my experience with the Lord and why I'm a Christian and why I want to show Christianity is the correct worldview, why Jesus is everything he claimed to be. Um, and later I realized that that website title was a little too narrow in its scope. So I later changed that to reasonsforjesus.com, mm-hmm. which is more of a broad spectrum Christian apologetics website. Mm-hmm. And I have a YouTube channel, which is just under my own name, youtube.com slash Stephen Bancars, where mm-hmm. I expose New Age beliefs and practices from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. To and, um, and you're not combative. I mean, it's, not combative. Right, I'm trying to be yeah, educational. I don't have yeah. to. We don't have. I don't have to be combative because. I'm, the way I see it, I'm appealing to something that I know they're already suppressing, mm-hmm. right? Like, I have inside knowledge on their psychological condition because I know what the one who made them says about them. If I'm going to believe in Romans 1, mm-hmm. that they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, that they have general revelation, not of a general idea of, of theism, but of his eternal power and his, you know, divine nature. And I, I know because I was in the same boat as them, that we know intrinsically, I believe, that we have some kind of a general sense when we hear the words of Jesus, when we're presented with the gospel, something in us, in our spirit man, recognizes, okay, that's that's different. That's my maker. Mm-hmm. There's something between uh, the general revelation revealed in nature and in conscience. We associate that as being the father of Jesus Christ. And that's why he's always the one we're trying to explain away. So all I'm trying to do is get people to be a little more self-honest and examine this information a little more objectively, a little more open-mindedly to help them um, be more integral to the intuitions that they already have Mm -hmm. through general revelation. So all I'm trying to do is get individuals who are in the New Age movement to be more honest and integral with the intuitions they already have about the person of Christ. So your your full testimony that it lives on both your YouTube channel and the website is yeah. that true? Okay. Yeah, it's on uh, my YouTube channel, my website, and okay. um, I was also on the Seven Hundred Club. Okay. So that's on my YouTube channel and website as well. Okay, give give.
the sites out again? Reasonsforjesus.com. Okay. And then the YouTube channel is just youtube.com slash Stephen Bancars. Right. Are you working on anything else right now? <laughs> yeah, I am working on a book. Mm -hmm.